From the east side to the west, this is From the Land, the Cleveland Sports and More podcast. I'm your host, Jason Gerber, and tonight we are back from a break, and I have two weeks, one for the Ichia, to recap. (laughs) We will start with the disappointing end of the Cavs season and a quick look ahead to their offseason. In our second segment, we are staying in the land for a look at two tough weeks for the guards and the Browns' part-time NFL draft. We finished the night with a listen to an under-the-radar new album release. I am joined tonight by two of the best ever. My co-hosts, Phil Denko and Chuck Rambaldo are here. Fellas, how much did you miss me? Seven out of five. <laughs> <laughs> Eight out of five. Oh, oh baby Charlie, like are you in Price nine? is right. Charlie, how much you miss Gerbs? It's a nine out of nine. Nine out of nine. All right. That's actually worse than seven out of five. I understand math. Jeez. Guess the baby doesn't. All right. Let's get started. We are obviously glad to be back and looking forward to tonight. We are going to stay at home in the land on the court. Our final sip of wine and gold for the season. And boy, that was almost as bad as we could have possibly imagined. Cavs season ends with a 4-1 opening round series loss to the New York Knicks on Wednesday night. Which of these expletives best describes the series? First one, what the f***? Second one, fuck you. Third one, ah, f*** that. (laughs) Finally, I can't f***ing believe this. They're all really good. I'm going to go with, what the f***? I didn't think there was any reason for the series to be as lopsided as it was. They were simply underprepared and beat uh, at what they believed was their strength. So that was my what the fuck, like what you were proud of all year, uh, the heart and the grit of this team. And to see that all just wash away in almost all four years. I mean, like game two was a shining moment where yeah. you thought, they punched the bully back in the mouth and they have backed down and this is going to be a series. And then they just went right into their shell in, in the next few games. So, I mean, what the fuck, honestly, like that's what your season was built on and you got beat at your own game. I think what the fuck sums it up pretty well Uh, that, or I can't believe this, but I guess I can. I mean, I've been here long enough to see this in, in any one of the teams that we root for. Right. So I'll go with what the fuck as well. I, I, this team chose the worst time of the year to play their worst basketball. Like it's just, they weren't even playing what they had developed throughout the season. As Chuck mentioned, it was, it was frustrating. We couldn't get scoring. We couldn't get rebounds. I was hopeful that they would win the series. It's a four or five series. We talked about this many times. Like that's a coin flip, no matter what I was hopeful they would win the series from an experience standpoint. You know, that's what I wanted for this team, for this really young Cavs team. But I was also okay if they had lost the season, but passed the eyeball test, meaning like, all right, lost the series and it was hard fought. It could have gone either way. You know, games were back and forth and down to the last, last possession or two. And it was anything but that they, they made one comeback in one of the four games they lost. And that was in the third quarter. And then they let it all go by the end of that game. I'm going with off that because I think it's what I said the most and it applied to things that were being done by either team every time 
Mobley or Allen would drop like a perfect pass from Garland or Mitchell. Fuck that. What are you doing? Catch the ball. Uh, missing free throws. And then just the shots like Jalen Brunson turning into some sort of weird mix of like Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Paul. I looked at the Knicks and I was trying to figure out who's beating us because Julius Randle really didn't have that good a series. No. Brunson, for the fact that I said that he's hitting all these shots, he really was only dominant in like two games. Yep. But it was it was at the end and it was at the beginning. He kind of bookended the series with those big games. But other than that, like, who the hell is beating us? Like, oh, fuck that. Who's this clown making a shot? I don't know. Uh, it was obviously frustrating as hell to watch, and I just can't believe that this Cavs team got run off their home court in an elimination game to end that series. How does that happen? How do you let that happen? Where is the intensity? Where is the preparation? Uh, where is the grit of being like, we don't want to get embarrassed in front of our home crowd to end the season. That part really sucked and really surprised me. Now, after that series, what is your level of confidence in Coach J.B. Bickerstaff? As you can imagine here locally, ever since that series ended, it's just the Cleveland fan thing to do to, to call for the, the coach's job, right? Like fire the coach, get a new coach. Like yeah. That makes all the difference in the world. I kept thinking about it. I don't In the NBA, does it? I don't know how much difference it makes. I don't know that JB's calls or lack thereof or whatever it was in this series is what lost the series. Like it was toughness. He can't, he can't make the guys work harder, be tougher. Once the whistle blows, uh, he could yell at them and put guys like Jetty out there, I guess. But you know, I mean, it wasn't, it just wasn't working. So I, I don't know that I was all that confident in JB throughout the season. I don't think I've lost confidence in him though. Now I feel like, all right, he's still going to go forward being the coach of this team, it's such a young team, and we're hoping they grow together. We talked about that earlier in the season. It seems like the, and rightfully so here, I guess, Cleveland fans are funny. Tito's always going <laughs> to funny the pass, but <laughs> anybody who coaches the Browns, constantly on a hot seat in Cleveland. Uh, so when the Cavs get a taste of some success and it just doesn't work out, all you hear is like, you got to fire this guy. Uh, this is a guy who won 51 games this year with a really young, inexperienced team. Now, it, did he make some mistakes? Was he completely outcoached in the series? Probably, man. His next coach, Thibodeau, is that isn't Tom Thibodeau, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Did a great job, right? When when you're f***ing around with rotations in a playoff series, guys who shouldn't see the floor are seeing the floor, I can see why people are saying, hey, this guy's got to go. Um, the brand of basketball he plays bucks the NBA system, right? Slow, defensive, and plotting. Would I like to see some of these guys pace pick up with the athletes on this team, this young team? Maybe, you know, maybe, but... It, it's, you know, like it's always built on matchup playoff series. If it would have been the Heat, we probably have the same discussion, man. You know, like the, the Heat probably would have beat up this team as well. But I think he's still the right guy, um, depending on what they do with personnel in the offseason on the floor, not coaching staff. Uh, he just seems like the right dude. There's a, there's a different culture shift with this team. Uh, this LeBronless team who we took for granted that, remember, when, like, First round series with LeBron, no problem. And then you're seeing oh, what yeah. the real NBA is like now. You know, like you're seeing what a real team is like. When your best players play like shit, what, what are you going to do? You know, like I don't think it's completely his fault. I do think he was out coach. However, I do like the fact that Kobe Altman came out and said, like, 
like this is our dude you know like and yeah. you're gonna say that anyway but like this is our guy and you see progress from last season to this season absolutely so you hope you see that progress again next year beyond frustrating to watch an entire series where they couldn't figure out how to score you know and that to me that that part of that is coaching i don't think that's all just toughness something about it is hey i've got to find a way to get my guys in the best possible position to win the game and to score some points and when it doesn't really seem like anything's changing that that i think falls on the coach and that to me is a problem that he wasn't ready to make those changes or to get the guys into those kind of positions. You know, it's a, it's a shame that he had to change the rotation because Okoro was playing so badly. Like that sucks. Nobody, nobody wants to do that. We thought they had something set during the season and it just didn't work in this series. I think that's on him too. You know, I mean, I think that's a that's a coaching issue as well. I, I certainly am not on the fire JB bandwagon, uh, but I think it's worth noting that, like, they looked really bad in this series and a coach is a part of that. You know, um, a coach is a big part of not being able to get his players into spots where they could win unless the guys just aren't listening to him at all. And then then you got to fire him anyway, because, you know, he's, <laughs> he's lost the locker room. But I don't know. I, I doubt very seriously JB is going anywhere anytime soon. I do agree with the notion that he is leading a cultural change that's really good and really important in Cleveland. And, and you don't want to lose that, especially over one bad playoff series after a 51-win season. Enough of beating up on JB. Why don't we move on to beating up the players? Most disappointing <laughs> calf for the series. Evan Mobley. Averaged nine points and 10 rebounds and looked like his hands were dipped in Crisco every time Garland threw him a pass. <laughs> Jared Allen, 9.7 rebounds during the series. Isaac Okoro, averaged six points a game, lost his starting job after, I think, game two. And I hate to say it, but Donovan Mitchell, 23 points a game, but he only shot 28% from three was not effective in the big moments like he was during the regular season. I, what I saw in the games that I watched was that when they really needed him, he was not making shots like he had in the regular season. So most disappointing cab. All of them, but um, <laughs> I may focus more on Allen, uh, your man crush. He was legitimately a non-factor on both sides of the court, like, like a non-factor. Yep. You're talking about whatever you Every said his stat game. line was. That, that that's a guy who gets 12 minutes a game. That's that's a backup center in, in in most games. And for him to even say that the lights were brighter than expected after that series, I was like, you better zip that fucking mouth and get in a weight room and put on 20 pounds of muscle because you are a bitch. You were bitched around that court the entire time. Can you imagine what this series would have been like if Randall actually drove to the basket in games? Like, he was on the three-point line most of the game. Yeah. Like, if he attacked the rim, how just more lopsided it would have been. Thrilled every time he shot a three. Right, yeah. Absolutely <laughs> yes. thrilled when he did that. Yeah. Because it uh, meant he wasn't going to go in there yeah. and thrash yeah. our, our beanpole towers. I'm disappointed in almost every player except for one who took the court. But Allen is the most because you know, like that's a guy you, you're you're playing off these bigs all year long, man, and that's the calling card. And they were non-existent, but more so Allen than Mobley. 
it is really hard to pick from that list as to who I'm most disappointed in. Chuck tore Jared Allen down quite well, so I'll leave him alone. And I agree with everything <laughs> Chuck said. I mean, I do. I mean, that, because I'll, here's why I'll give Mobley a bit of a pass. The dude's 21 years old. Not an excuse. It, you know, it's not his first season. It is his first postseason. Uh, he's 21. That that guy's got a high, high ceiling, and I'll give him a bit of a pass. But I was disappointed in Evan Mobley that entire series. So more disappointed in Jared Allen because not old, but, you know, he's been in the league for a while. And he played yeah. in Brooklyn. Bright lights my ass. He yeah. played in Brooklyn before he came to Cleveland. Yeah. I'm going to turn my disappointment to the main man. It's the NBA. Your all-stars, your top-tier players have to show up and show out in the playoffs. And Donovan Mitchell had one really good game, one really good game, and they lost. And then a couple okay games, but was not Donovan, the same Donovan Mitchell that that carried this team to 51 wins during the regular season. He just wasn't. And I didn't I didn't need 40 to 50 point Donovan Mitchell. I didn't. I, I needed the Cavs did, but okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. In hindsight, of course. <laughs> yeah. But I think the way the game was going, if he was hitting his shots, you know, all of a sudden you might see, you know, 28 to 35 point Donovan Mitchell with, you know, double digit assists and getting the big guys involved down low, that kind of stuff. And it wasn't happening. Um, you could see his frustration too. I mean, I can't, I know everything's turned up in the postseason. It, it seemed to me like every three-point shot he took hit like the rim three times before it bounced out. Like, oh, geez, he just couldn't yes. buy a shot for a while. Off so that was that. frustrating. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, exactly. No. So I, I was disappointed in Mitchell because I also think he's the type of player that if his shot isn't dropping, he can drive, he can drive and score. He can drive and score and drive and dish. And he, he just didn't have that in him. And maybe that's because the Knicks are good on defense, but you know, the, he just didn't have that in this series where he could at least take over a game enough to where a perfect example that one that that Garland led them all the way back in the third quarter. If Mitchell had a Mitchell fourth quarter, the Cavs yep. might win that game. And he did. Yeah. He yeah. scored two points. Yeah. Two points in a fourth quarter. That's not good out of your number one guy. I'm on Mitchell as well. I just think, and not not in like a way of like bashing the dude, but the reality is he just wasn't making shots the entire series. And we had gotten so used to him doing nothing but that all season long. He was so great this season. And that dude has got to show up in the playoffs. And the thing is, is that like in his career, he has. He had he had a couple of series when he was in Utah where he averaged like 35 points a game for an entire series. Like, I mean, he's he's a good playoff player. It's not like he's a like a guy who chokes, but he just didn't have it. He didn't have it. And I, and I think, Phil, you're right, man. Like there were games where if he could have gone on a run, he could have dragged the team with him and made those games closer and given them a shot to win, and, and they just didn't. Donovan Mitchell was a pretty big disappointment in this series. But with last season now in the rearview mirror, let's look ahead to next season and to the offseason. After all of that, the Cavs really do have a pretty good problem. Uh, their superstars are set, right? I mean, the Mitchell, Garland, and Mobley are their superstars. Allen is a step below those guys, but not a huge step below those guys. So, I mean, they, you've got a pretty good, solid foundation there. After that, it's a little bit dicey. Are you still in on Isaac Okoro as a starter next season? Keeping in mind also that he will become an, a restricted free agent after next year. I think you have to be because he's still so young. 
And he did make a bit of a leap this year, and there was some progress in his game this year. When it mattered, though, in this series, open look threes, man, and length, all of them. And that's why your rotation changed. Um, But I still think he's developing as a player. I love what he brings to the table defensively. I don't think any of us can can crap on that. Can he develop more of a shot this offseason? Is he and the bigger question is, is he worth anything on the open market if you are to trade him for a piece you need? I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. You would think maybe like he's one of your pieces, but if that were the case, maybe they would have shipped him at the deadline. I believe that that this guy can can make another leap into this next season. And if he's playing just good enough, then he's a piece you trade at the deadline. But I, I still want to believe that this guy is, is, a, is a piece for the franchise moving forward. It's just you got to rely on him more to develop his shot. Like if he's that D and three guy, hopefully he just takes a thousand three point shots every day this offseason. <laughs> and then he becomes a 30 to 40% shooter. And then we can all be somewhat happy with them. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll echo what I said about Evan Mobley. I mean, I'll give Okoro the same benefit of the doubt of, of youth, right? He's so young. Th- this team is so young. Um, but to Chuck's point, he's he's got to make a big jump this offseason from a skill set standpoint because the position he's playing, if he's in the starting five, if he's that three, we need shooting out of that guy. We know he can play defense. We know he's an energy guy. We know, we know he can do that. But he's got to start knocking down shots on a regular basis and I don't, I don't know if that's who this guy is. I, I, none of us do, right? Like he just hasn't been that guy yet. He's, he's got a chance, I guess, because of his youth. But is that a guy that you can, can you move that guy before, before the trade line, deadline to get that guy in return? I don't know. Like, is there that three point shooter out there that you're going to pull off a team that plays the three, the small forward position? I, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it is, maybe there is a franchise out there that is kind of going through a youth movement and a curl fits their, their need better and we get, a different guy, but I, personally, I'd prefer to see him just make that leap, man. Let, let's let's see this young kid who's come up with these other young kids develop a shot in the off season and and see it in the regular season next year. I, I'm all over keeping him. It's it's just too soon. He's he's too young. You can't get rid of him. And he did make an improvement. And I guess the thing that like frustrates me that we don't see more of that we saw a little bit of in this series is. Dude can get to the rim. Like, well, yeah. for all this talk about, like, we need to be a three-point shooter, he's awesome at getting to the rim and getting dunks and layups or getting fouled or something like that. Like, he really is an athletic, quick dude. And maybe we should be trying to use some of that to get him into places where he can score some points and he can be productive. I don't know. I don't know enough about basketball to understand why we need him to be 3 and D when he can get to the rim like that, but Somebody smarter than me could probably fill in that gap for me, but too young, too, too young to let go of yet. Although the way you move him next year is because he's an expiring contract. So somebody is going to make a move just to have him for the rest of the year and then dump him. Maybe that, that may be the way you move him, but probably not in the off season. Now, the one thing we know for sure is that they need to build their bench a little bit since maybe JB's biggest challenge is that when he wants to move new pieces in, there are no new pieces to move. (laughs) Uh, The projected salary cap for next season in the NBA is 134 million. The Cavs are currently way over that number, but it's the NBA. So it doesn't really matter because you can somehow use math to figure out their practical cap space right now 
is 12 million. So possible free agents, who would you want to see in the wine and gold next season? Karis Levert. Now the Cavs have bird rights for with Levert, which means that they can exceed the salary cap to re-sign him. I, I think that's not included in the practical cap space. So they still might have some of that practical money laying around <laughs> if they wanted to sign Levert. <laughs> Uh, next one, another free agent at the end of this year, Draymond Green. Everybody hates him except his team and his fans. Uh, next one, Chuck, kind of where you were going, I think. How about Cam Johnson? Small forward for the Nets has played really well after that trade from Dallas for Kyrie. 40% plus three-point shooter, good defender. Last one, Josh, face bag heart we just saw what that guy could do against the Cavs in the playoffs he plays defense he rebounds like crazy he's at least against us he was a good three-point shooter so those are some of the guys that are out there that might kind of fit what the Cavs need what do you think the guy from Brooklyn he's a younger guy yeah he's like 26 yeah. 26 yeah. 27 that guy might fit the mold of this team a little bit better than the other people. I don't know what, like a guy like Draymond, what does he bring to, I mean, obviously he'd be coming off the bench. What does he bring to this team? Toughness, experience. Yeah. Grits, yeah, leadership. Attitude. <laughs> yeah. Right, right, right. I get, I get all that, but that's a guy coming off the bench. He's not starting for you. Like I'd like, you know, can we get some toughness, grit and leadership on in our starting five? Um, so maybe you go after the skill set that you're missing and it's, it's more that, that shooter from the, the small forward or forward position. And then Josh Hart, I don't think you can fit his nickname on the back of his jersey, so I guess that's out. <laughs> <laughs> these are these are all pretty good options. Um and even Green, as much as I hate that guy, man would he have been nice on on this team in this series. Yeah. Th this series would be built for a guy like that. But he's another Okoro that no one will cover him when they're when they're running offensive set. They will dare him to shoot the ball. I like Johnson Hart the only exposure I really had to him was this series, and he played fantastic basketball. If that's the player he is uh, all season long, that's that's a good fit. I, I don't want to discount Levert here because he was the only guy in this series with my own eyes that I saw that the moment was not too big for him. Mm. He played his guts out and maximized his minutes every time he was on the court, no matter what he was doing. I like the fact that you you can give him a little bump because it's it's bird rights, but uh, I, I might be on that Nets dude. Uh, he's a he's a pretty good player, and I think he would fit really well with this team. Uh, but uh, but I'd like to see like like I, I wanted to push Lavert out all fucking season, and now like after the second after the trade deadline through this series, you see like what an integral piece that guy could be for this team moving forward. And he wants to be here. Like he has already said, like yeah, I, I, of course I want to resign here. So we'll see. It feels like Lavert's the obvious choice. And there's, listen, there's a ton of guys who are going to be out there, but Levert's already part of the team. He already knows what they're doing. He has this experience. He filled a role wonderfully, like you said, for the second half of the year, and he did play with some actual heart in this series. So I, it's Levert, but I, I would love to find a younger version of what Draymond brings to the table. That would be the kind of guy that I, I think they need. I think they do need a bench piece. I think that's the thing is we're not going after – any of the huge name free agents. We're looking at like the next tier down, which is a good problem to have because yeah. it means we probably end up overpaying somebody, but we get the piece that we need. Okay. At this exact time, 
next year, what is the story going to be? Is it Cavs learned their lesson in the loss to the Knicks, came back tougher, and just finished dominating the up-and-coming Magic in round one? Or Cavs still can't get over the hump, still lack toughness, need to make a change because they just got bounced in the first round again? I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be the, the, the first one. You know, like you're seeing the trajectory here, an improvement from season to season. You added a superstar who's under contract for two years then with a player option, I believe. So what you're really doing this offseason and next season is courting that man to re-sign here, right? Like you you want him here for the long term. I think they learn lessons. I think they address their issues. Hopefully, salary-wise, it, it works because looking down that bench, the rotate like the who, who do you want off that bench to come back? Like who's, who do you need back here next year? Who makes this team better for now? Not during the season, right? Cause we're seeing what the NBA really is like, right? The Cavs played their asses off all year, but then there's another gear when playoff time starts for a lot of these teams with veterans. Maybe that's what they bring in. That's what I'm hoping, right? Some veteran dudes who know the drill, know how to turn it on when it matters most. So I think it's the first scenario that they're beating the upstart magic and uh, they're from the land Orlando podcast is having the conversation. <laughs> we are at this time next year. <laughs> well, it better be the first scenario. I'm going to, I'm going to lead with that. And here's why they, the Cavs have tremendous talent in the starting five. That is without a doubt the case. And, and you expect some of those young guys to make even another leap going into next season. So, you know, we joked a couple of weeks ago about, you know, maybe it's more important to have have the, the quality starting five than it is the bench. I think you need a little bit of both, but th- we have a quality starting five, certainly four of those five potential all-stars. So I think a year from now, if if this team, the way it's currently constructed is moving in the right direction, you you better get past the first round. You better be talking about a second round playoff series. And depending on how the year goes and how these guys are playing, I don't even know if we'd be happy with just a second round playoff series. You know, let, let's, let's push this thing. We've got the talent. We've got the, the youth that continues to grow in the offseason, hopefully. Um, and yeah, like Chuck said, some of these other upstart teams that takes the place of the Cavs, be it the Magic or whoever else we face in the first round can feel what we're feeling right now. If the problem in this series against the Knicks really is just a, a fundamental lack of toughness, because guys like Allen and Mobley and Garland are just such nice dudes. If that's the problem, then I think it's the second scenario. Like you're never getting out of a first round series if you can't like muscle up and play physical, high intensity basketball for seven straight games. If you can't do that, you're just you're just not. It's like like Chuck is saying, it's a different gear in the playoffs, and we saw it. If it's truly a lack of toughness, then it's probably number two. I don't think it is. I think this is a young team that's inexperienced. This is a young head coach who I don't think he's ever coached a playoff series before, before this one. Everybody was there for the first time trying to figure it out. They didn't get the Mitchell that they had gotten used to. I have a feeling they come back and have learned what it's like to play in that scenario now. And, and they're more prepared to do it. A year from now, we're going to be talking about what a great lesson they learned against the Knicks by getting their asses beat. Right now, it doesn't feel like that and doesn't feel very good. But we are going to end 
our Cavs talk for this year uh, right there. We're going to take our first break. We're going to come back, talk some baseball and some NFL draft. Welcome back, fellas, to our second segment. We are going to cover everything else in the land. We'll start with our Guardians two-week cap, our look back at the last two weeks of Guardians baseball. And if the Cavs were bad, ugh, the guards were worse, and they managed to prove meatloaf wrong because two out of three was bad. <laughs> guards lost two of three to the Tigers, two of three to the Marlins, two of three to the Rockies, and finished the two-week stretch in Boston, losing two of three. Guards are now 13 and 15 and three and a half back of the Minnesota Twins in the division. So what's your two-week cap? Uh, the Guardians look like a team with every conceivable weakness fully exposed all two weeks long. Wow. <laughs> that was that is, powerful, that is efficient. succinct. <laughs> wow. That was amazing. Now we're going to hand it off to Denko. <laughs> yeah, let's see if I can't uh, word vomit all over this. <laughs> My two-week cap for the Guardians is uh, – Chuck's boy, Leslie Higgins. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, really, it's really what it was, man. Like it, it was, it was bad, but I guess looking back at it in hindsight, we end the month of April, two games under 500. That's kind of what Tito's teams do. That's what they do. I had a hard time finding a silver lining in the last two weeks though. I really did. Other than perhaps, perhaps we've got some young pitchers that show some promise. Oh, we're going to get to it. That I'm sure we will, but that might prove important as this very long season goes on. But Ending the month of April, two games under 500. This is what the guards do. I did not get to watch a lot of games over the last two weeks, um, partly because I was busy, partly because I was on vacation in the Dominican Republic. And as baseball crazy as the Dominican Republic is, <laughs> I could not find <laughs> Guardians games anywhere on TV. Uh, I did find a lot of um, kind of awkward and weird Latin American like game shows in Spanish. Did you find any like, baseball players that could maybe – Join the Guardians. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. But from what I read and what I tried to follow, it just seemed like a week of everything going wrong. Um, if you got good starting pitching, you got bad pitching out of the bullpen. If you got great starting pitching, you got no hitting in their own ways, like the entire week, just not finding ways to win games. So that that was that was my two week cap, having watched almost nothing. So what's to blame for the rough patch? Pitching or hitting or just bad luck? In the last two weeks, only little Steven Van Quan hit over 300. <laughs> the team batting average was 233, but they did hit nine home runs in 12 games. Team ERA was about four during the stretch. Bieber, Quantrill, and Plesak all got roughed up at least once. Uh, Plesak went for two rough-ups. Two members of the bullpen also had ERAs over 10 during that span. So what's to blame for this rough patch? Uh, all of it. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a laundry list of, of losing baseball right there. Right. Like you can't, they're not hitting, they're not pitching. They're not coming out of the bullpen and holding games. They're not doing any of that. No, no timely hitting. You know what? Looking back at those two weeks though, uh, I think the, the biggest I don't I want to call it bad luck is we talked about this all last season and so far they're not doing it. They played the Rockies and the Tigers, two shitty, shitty teams. Yeah. And last year we talked about all they did was beat the shitty teams, beat the shitty teams. Okay. Well, in baseball, 
in 162 games, that's what you have to do. You've got to take two out of three, and they couldn't even do that. And unfortunately, in those two series, I, I think it was those two series. No, it was it was Detroit for sure. They got swept in a a double header where I think the Guardians had like one and a half hits all day in both games. Yeah. Um, and then Colorado, man, they're awful. And and to awful. drop two of those games, yeah. it's just I don't know. I feel like this Guardians team. Forget the long ball, forget the power hitting. You should be able to just single and double a team like Colorado to death and let your pitching staff do its thing. And they didn't do it. You covered it with so many options. Um, and the setup was like, when you got good pitching, you got no hitting. Uh, when you got some hitting, you got terrible pitching. I guess if I put it, I'll, I'll put it more on the the offense ineptitude that's been happening over the last two weeks because you have injuries along that starting staff. So somebody's got to pick it up and you're hoping you're hoping it's, it's your offense, which didn't happen. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to put it on that. Uh, the power numbers are great and all, but Phil's probably right. This team's not really built for all that. Uh, so if, if you single or double them to death and move runners and steal bases, when today middle of the order, went one for 15, that that's a problem. I don't care Ooh. if the guy throws a three hitter, man, uh, yeah. you're going one for 15. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, so I'm going to put it on, I, I could put a lot of it on Rosario. He had a, he's had a terrible two week yeah. stretch, but I'm I'm going to put it really on the offense just not producing when they need to, just because there's so many injuries and these babies keep coming up the pitch, and some of them are doing okay, but still the offense sucks. I think I just kind of want to throw it in the realm of bad luck because I I guess I avoided some of the pain by not getting to watch any of the games, but we're so much better than this. This lineup is better than what they're producing. The pitching staff, even with guys injured, is better than they have played. As far as the injuries to the pitching staff goes, man, we have filled that with young pitchers who have actually pitched pretty well more than once. Mm -hmm. So this is just part of the baseball season. You hit these funk periods where you just can't get out of your own way and win games, and I think they'll come out of this and they'll be just fine, but hopefully it doesn't last too much longer. All right, scale of one to five. One being answering trivia about the 1995 NDCL Lions varsity baseball team. <laughs> Five being answering trivia about Cleveland's own Burning River women's flat track roller derby team. How confident are you in Zach Plesak? Oh, man. Really, after uh, after this weekend, that's a, that's a kind of a, I'm going to say it's a five. It's a flat track five for me. I have no confidence in that guy right now. I jumped to Phil. Uh, too quickly. I forgot to mention that in five starts this season, Zach Plesak has pitched 21 innings. He's given up 37 hits, 18 earned runs, and opponents are hitting 374 against him. Yeah, like you've probably seen enough of him from last year and this year. So I'm I'm all the way to the flat track five. I, I'm with you guys. I just don't know that this guy is ever going to give them the the type of consistency that they need. And I think we've seen a big enough sample size that this guy needs to be on the way out sometime, hopefully soon. Let's see if we can find one. MVG, your most <laughs> valuable guard for the last two weeks. Uh, Josh Bell, 12 hits, five doubles, two home runs, seven RBIs, and he's cranked his average above 200 for the season. Nice. Uh, next option. Scrabble champion Xavion Curry, three appearances, eight innings, no earned runs, kept them in some of these games when the starters were losing it. Uh, next one, Steve Kwan, 
They hit 320, 16 hits, six walks, and three stolen bases in the last two weeks. Last option, the disgusting brothers, Logan Allen and Tanner Bibby. Both were pretty filthy in three appearances total. Each got a win. Bibby only gave up one run in a much-needed win over the terrible Rockies. New Logan Allen had two quality starts against the Marlins and today against the Red Sox. You know what? I'm going to give it to the disgusting brothers, Bibby and Allen. Like they, they really pitched well. They really pitched well. They were averaging like eight strikeouts a start uh, over the last um, two weeks, each of them. And I think Allen might have got out there twice or close to it anyway. But with the injuries, that's all you can ask for from from that youth movement. Five innings, come out there, hold the other team to two runs or less. Strike out eight guys is kind of a, you know, frosting on that cake, so to speak. Um, I'll give it to the disgusting brothers. Those guys, I, I want one of those two to stick in this rotation because we got to send Plesak to the Twins soon. And then uh, <laughs> and then we need, we have a hole in the starting rotation. Of the disgusting brothers, I was most impressed with the Tannier or whatever his name is. That dude looks dominant. His fastball is Lights out. His off-speed stuff is crazy. That was only his 29th professional start, by the way. 29th. Not not professional like, period. Like that's, period. that includes all yeah, his minor yes. league starts yes. too. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that guy. Hopefully, he's he's a stud. But uh, I, I want to give it to to Curry. It's time to move that guy to the fifth starting spot. Like he has proved whatever scenario you're putting him in, he's pitching really well. He deserves a shot. At that fifth spot, if you're moving out Plesak or whoever the fuck, whoever's hurt, I don't care. This guy, at least in this month-old season, deserves the chance uh, to pitch a few games in a rotation and see how he can handle it because he's handled everything else really well. I'm going with Stephen Kwan. Uh, I love that dude's consistency at the top of the lineup. Uh, I love that he just keeps continuing to string together periods of hitting 300, getting on base, and then doing damage. Right now when the offense is struggling, uh, that guy's performance is super important. But I wouldn't take it away from any of the other guys, either all of them, uh, especially Allen and Bibby, man. God, it's so valuable to have those guys come in and be able to fill in and eat up innings and um, shut teams down. Uh, it's a big deal. All right. Next week, guards start the week in the Big Apple against everyone's favorite assholes, the Yankees, then come back to the land for a three-game set against everybody's least favorite first-place team, the Minnesota Twins. By the end of the week, are the guards closer to the top of the AL Central? They're three and a half games out now. Nope. No. Those are – you're struggling against not really great teams over the past two weeks, and then you're running into two pretty good teams. Yeah, they're going to lose some ground, I think. Not, not what are they three now? That was at three, three and, and a half, half now. Yeah, I bet you it's like five, five and a half by the time it's said and done. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how they get closer. I, I'm hoping for one win in the Bronx. Can we get one win? It would have been really nice to get that extra inning win in Boston, uh, going into that series, right? But oh well. Uh, but we are turning the calendar page to May, and in May, the Guardians play about 500 baseball. So, <laughs> all right. All right, moving forward. But uh, I don't know. I don't see us gaining ground on the Twins. Coming out of the Bronx, having to go to face the Twins, even if you win two of those games, which would be fantastic. I don't know if you pick up any ground. About my only hope is the fact that the Guardians have played so badly the last two-plus weeks, and they're only three and a half behind the Twins, which leads me to believe, even though I haven't watched a minute of Minnesota Twins baseball so far this season, they're probably not that great either. 
I don't think we're making up any ground this week, but I don't think we fall too far behind either. Cause I agree with you. I, I think we can go into Minnesota and take two of those games. Yankees, obviously a much different story, but moving on 19 shades of Brown, our 19 week preview for the 2023 <laughs> Brown season tonight, our special Cleveland Browns draft review. The NFL draft was all weekend, but the Browns didn't need to show up until Saturday. Their first pick was in the third round. They took wide receiver Cedric Tillman. Hopefully no relation to lawyer Tillman. Uh, Browns. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> you like that? Yeah, yeah I do. Nice call deep back. for that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I knew we had a Tillman before. <laughs> uh, Browns also took two defensive linemen, a quarterback, a defensive back, an outside linebacker, and a giant offensive lineman. Now, be honest. Had you heard of any of the guys they drafted before this weekend? Yes. Bullshit. Do I need to name well, them? Who did you hear of? The tackle for the Buckeyes. The guy's oh, a monster. Yeah. Thanos, dude. <laughs> the guy's huge. All right, so we knew about the offensive lineman. That's fair. Yeah. We probably all watched that dude play right. every down this year for Ohio State. But that's it. So other than that guy, how do you think the Browns did in the draft? Everything is fine. Everything <laughs> is fine. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm going to grade every pick. Uh, no, I, I think <laughs> I think they did okay. I, I don't know. Um, other than it seemed like they took some big body dudes with those first three picks. The receiver's a big guy. Uh, the D tackle is a big guy who can alter a game without running up any stats because he's just going to take up space. And then the lineman from Ohio State's a monster. So I, I like the fact that they decided to get big. That's about it. I think that's about the most you can say. Yeah. Hey, yeah. This is fine, and they got bigger. Uh, great. <laughs> you know, there's no way to there's no way to know whether any of these guys are going to be awesome or not, or to actually understand like the concepts of picking these guys in these various rounds and what value you're looking for and what you're hoping to get. Give me a break. So before camp opens, there's still a lot of time. Do you see the Browns making any other player moves before camp starts? Unless they plan on playing seven defensive backs, I would love to see a linebacker or two somehow make it to this roster. Like, I know they re-signed Winfield or whoever, the guy who was hurt, and Taki Taki was having a good season. He got hurt. Yep. And JOK is a little dude, but he got hurt. So maybe they're just happy with, with what they have there. I would, however, like to see maybe somebody a little more established on that linebacker core, at least some depth guys, because you know, dudes are getting hurt and I don't want to see special team guys playing linebacker again this year. If there's any additions from a free agent standpoint, I, I would look at the linebacker position and offensive tackle, specifically left tackle, um, pick up, pick up someone with some NFL experience, not, not some old head, right? Like get a guy that's been in the league three, four years, whatever. Uh, and has had some experience, there's a reason that gigantic guy from the Buckeyes went 111th. I don't know what that reason is, but when you're that big and you go 111th, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's get some guy that's actually played left tackle in the NFL, even in a backup role that I think that that would be an important free agent signing. All good points. I just wonder if there are moves out there still, or if they're going to get to, they're going to get into camp and see what shakes out from other teams. You know, you wait to those, first couple rounds of cuts and see which guys are available then and maybe make a move. But they, they filled a lot of holes in free agency. They kind of stuck to the same pattern in the draft. There's a lot of defensive line, a lot of wide receiver, a lot of defensive back. I and mean, that's what they were doing in free agency too. 
So they clearly think those are their problems, and they've taken these two opportunities to fill them. I, I don't know that I think there are a lot of moves left. There are holes left, I think, but I don't know how many moves there are left for for them to take. So rest of the AFC North, who had the best weekend? Ravens' biggest move came right before the draft. They signed Lamar Jackson to a five-year deal. Draft experts are all over the Steelers. They added a first-round tackle. They added Joey Porter Jr. They got some late-round talent. Everybody seems to believe they had one of the best weekends in the entire NFL. Bengals went defense in the early rounds, and consensus seems to be that it was kind of a smart, if not flashy, draft for the Bengals. So who got the best this weekend for the rest of the AFC North? I'm going to lean towards the Bengals um, because of what you just said. I, I think that's what that team needs, not a flashy draft. They need to fill holes. They they need to take a, a Browns approach, except they're doing a better job with it, apparently, on the offensive side. Fill the holes. They they have several, except one, the quarterback position and the and two wide receiver position, right? Like they they know what they got going on there in Cincinnati. I, I think they probably quietly had the best draft because say what you will about the Steelers and Joey Porter's son, who plays defensive back, does not make their quarterback situation any better. So they will still be the fourth best team in the AFC North going into next year. I just hope the Browns can find their way out of the third spot. Yeah, around around these parts, the Steelers, oh, yeah, had, a, been, yeah. the Steelers had a great draft. Quietly, the Bengals had a really good one. That receiver from Purdue probably will make a difference for that team, even with already loaded receiver core. But probably, I'm going to say the Ravens. I thought there was no way back for Lamar Jackson. I thought for sure that dude's gone. He's going to sit if he doesn't go somewhere else. Uh, and then they bring in a receiver, basically it was the same guy, like who was their other receiver they traded to Arizona, same kind of player. But they bring in OBJ, you know, like they're addressing the stuff that they needed to address, and they always draft really well, uh, even if Ozzie Newsom's not there anymore. So I'm just going to say Ravens because I thought for sure, man, that dude ain't coming back. Lamar yeah. Jackson is done there. He's never going to make it right, and they made it right. So the Ravens had a really good week. I'm going with the Ravens as well because they locked up a proven talent, whereas the draft still remains, in large part, in my opinion, a complete crapshoot. You just never know what these guys are going to develop into. Very few uh, guarantees in the draft. But I think you're guaranteed a lot of wins if Lamar Jackson is your starting quarterback. And so bringing him in, I think, made them pretty, pretty good, uh, which really sucks. Uh, for the rest of the division, and especially for the Browns. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty, pretty, pretty good. (laughs) All right, real fast. NBA, were the Bucks secretly shitty? No. I'm going to stay. I've always said no, so I'm going to continue to say no. It was just, the Heat's a tough matchup, man. And and Jimmy Butler is Michael Jordan's illegitimate son. I love that conspiracy. If you haven't read into it, start reading <laughs> oh, about man. it. Yeah. Uh he had a he had an unbelievable series. Uh, I don't think they're secretly shitty. It's just it just didn't work out. Phil, why is Chuck wrong? <laughs> are the Bucks secretly shitty? I, I actually don't think they are. I think they ran into the buzzsaw of Kevin Love, man. Kevin Love has oh, playoff boy. experience <laughs> up and down, left and right. You can't you can't. You can't quantify that. You can't Giannis Antetokounmpo that. <laughs> no, I think um, I think the Bucks. Well, if I have to say why Chuck is wrong and they are secretly shitty, I think they're secretly shitty without their with their out their best player out there at even seventy five percent strength. I guess who wouldn't be? 
I really want to thank you guys for putting way too much thought into what was supposed to be a stupid question that just led us out of this segment and into our last one. So why don't we take our final break? We're going to come back off the field, talk some music. Welcome back, fellas. Let's head off the field. And we're going to talk music with our first ever from the land, Small Ears. A look at the new album by Josh Ritter. Probably not a household name, but definitely a talented singer-songwriter. This weekend, he released his 11th album, Spectral Lines. A Josh Ritter stat line. Two of his 11 albums have reached number one on the U.S. folk charts. His 2015 album, Sermon on the Rocks, also reached number six on the U.S. rock charts. For my money, Sermon on the Rocks is by far his best album. Check that one out if you've never listened to it. Otherwise, as best I can tell, he has not won any awards for his music, but he did graduate from Oberlin College with a degree in neuroscience, and he's written two novels. The last one was titled The Great Glorious Goddamn of It All, which is a pretty great goddamn title for a book. (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk spectral lines. Did you like it on the first listen? Did it take more times? Or are there not enough times for you to get into this album? I liked it on the first listen. I was hesitant at first the way it started, but then I was like, oh, all right. Like a little spoken word here. Like what's going on in this album? I'll get into it. But you know, I, you know how our, our all ears or small ears goes like, I'm going to just dive into it. Like I'm open-minded. Let's see how it goes. And it kind of waxed and waned for me on my first listen where there were some tracks. I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then there was a track like, oh, I really like this. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And then there's a track. Like, oh, I really like this. And I, that was my first listen. And then in subsequent listens, I, I actually came around to enjoying it more. Bill's description is pretty good. I know I'm going to need far more listens than I did uh, up until today. And I, I listened to it a few times. I just don't know if I'll go back. I, I don't know if I'll do that because it's a little out there. Um, and there's a little bit to it that I really liked and dug. And then there were stuff I was like, I don't know about all this, man, but it kept my attention. I just think this is an album that you got to spend some real time and it's not long. It's under 40 minutes. Yeah. So spend some yeah, time with that's it. That's what's nice. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think much like existentialism, which I think this album is like, you can't just read it once, man. Like <laughs> you got to go back and read it over and over and over and yeah. over to get it. I'm a big fan of this guy, uh, especially after Sermon on the Rocks. It's a really cool album. This is much, much different from that one. I listened to it the first time and shook my head and thought, oh, boy, I've gotten these guys in our show into a mess because this is not at all like what I'm used to from him. And I don't really think I'm into this. And then I listened to it a few more times and I really went through and I, I listened to each song with the like lyrics up. So I could like go along with the lyrics with the song. And that's when I really got into it. I thought like, all right, this guy is, he's a pretty amazing songwriter. And this is a really interesting sounding album. And the songs, subject matters and stuff are really interesting. He actually throws back to one of his older albums with one of the songs, which was cool. All in all, the more I listened to it uh, and I listened to it, like Chuck said a lot today, the more I really, really liked it. I, I thought it was, I thought it was good from beginning to end. I think there's a consistent tone. Is it mysterious? Is it haunting? Is it dreamlike? Is it something else? I have written down haunting. So I'm glad we're, oh, okay. we're somewhat on the same wavelength. Yeah, I think I think it's haunting and smoky, if, okay. if that makes sense. Um, it does. Powerful, yeah. powerful, but quiet. 
is subsequently listening to it. There's a lot there, but it's not really loud. Like you, you got to pay attention to it. So I'm gonna, I, I think haunting is probably the best way to put it though. That's interesting. I, I didn't have haunting, but I did have mysterious. Like I thought, all right, this is an interesting, it don't for a while. And I, I listened to it a bunch cause it was only 34 minutes long, but for a while I kept thinking like this, is this guy purposely confusing me with the, the slow kind of sad song was about something enjoyable and the upbeat songs were about something terrible. I'm like what's happening yeah. right now? Like that's, <laughs> and that, that was like, it, there was this, this kind of mysterious feel to it. Um, and the more I listened to it, I, I just kept coming back to that, but I could see the haunting angle too. Like, I don't know that even after listening to it a bunch, I, I really fully understand what some of these songs are about, you know, like what he's trying to say. And I caught myself a couple of times having to start a song over because I just got into the beat of it. I'm like, Oh, this is a great pick me up song. It feels good. And I'm like, wait a minute. What is he talking? Like, this is awful. Like this is what he's talking about is awful. <laughs> um, so it was, but it was great. I mean, talk about a, a uh, singer songwriter, right? Like he really, he pulled you in with, not only the lyrics, but the way the music was played too, and the layers of it. Gosh, we are eerily on the same page, all three of us, with a lot of this stuff. Um, we should be I friends. Went with, <laughs> <laughs> I went with Dreamlike. The way the song sounded, and the like, the lyrics that he used, and the images that he's creating, none of it like made sense fully. The way you, like, you have a dream, and like the bits and pieces of it don't make a lot of sense. You know, because that's that's the way your dreams are. That's what I felt like listening to it from beginning to end was just like, gosh, it's almost like you're in a dream and like you're experiencing these things or like he's in a dream or something like that. Not a negative. Like, I don't think that was a bad thing about it, but it was like that was like what I felt as I kept listening to it. What did you think of the transitions between the songs? Early on, I guess, certainly with my first listen, I thought there weren't going to be any transitions because the way like track one went into track two into track three, I'm like, oh, this, this is kind of like the last Crows album. Like there's no, there's no transition here. It's just like one kind of stream of consciousness. Yeah. So I, I, that was my first impression. I think as I listened to it more, I, I, I felt a little bit more of the transition, but again, it was, it was seamless. Like it was a, it was kind of like one long 34 minute story poem whatever you want to whatever you want to call it you know the, the beats and the music changed i i think pretty drastically yeah. in some of the tracks from one to the next but it did transition right into the next one pretty seamlessly i'm a big sucker for those seamless transitions that there is a flow to whatever vision he has for that album and it whatever genre it is because the last time we talked about beyonce that's what she did with her album much different than this one yeah but i i like the fact that it strips down and then builds back up. So I'm, I'm always a big fan because it seems like that doesn't happen that often anymore. And it's even harder to do in a digital age, like how we listen on, on Spotify or wherever that, that you're getting those seamless transitions. So I appreciate them. I thought it was cool that it, it was a seamless transition, but you could tell once you'd listened to it a few times where the song ended and where the next one began, but in between it would be, it'd be like the sound of rain or something like that. Yeah. Or it'd be the, mm-hmm. like, it'd be it'd be musical or it'd be almost sounds like a city street sound between some of the songs and the one thing i caught that i thought was interesting was there is only one break that doesn't have that seamless transition and it's going between uh for your soul to black crown that Mm -hmm. one the music actually stops and black crown is 
like a song about depression. Uh, and that's the one that throws back to one of his older albums has a really great song uh, about like a, it's like the black magic coming in or something like that is the, the hook of the song. And that's what he's kind of throwing back to with that one. I thought it was really interesting that he chose to put the only break right before the song about depression. I, I gotta think that was intentional. It would not make any other sense otherwise. What did you think of the instrument choices? And this, I think, kind of comes to what Chuck was saying, was that there's a lot going on, but it's quiet. And as best I could tell, because I could not find anywhere on the internet that would tell me which instruments were being played on which songs, but the best I could tell, there's a trumpet, there's keyboards, there's electric guitar, there's piano, there's acoustic guitar, there's a saxophone. I think there's a Kenny G oboe in there at at various points. (laughs) Oboe is also spelled with an E on the end, which I think is perfectly worthless. Like there doesn't need to be an E on the end of the word oboe, but that's a lot of instruments used, man, a a lot of ways through the songs. What what did you think of that? It's funny you brought this up because as I was listening to it, I actually wrote down two instruments that I'm like, wow, I hear this instrument in this song. I don't know that it's necessary at all in this song, <laughs> but it's really cool that I'm listening to yeah. it now. And, and in, yeah. and in for your soul, there's like obvious, like they're about halfway through the tambourine comes in. It's like, Whoa, like, okay, that's cool. That's a cool layer to this song. It didn't need it, but it's there now. Now I can't unhear it. And then I think in a strong swimmer, there's clearly like a maraca or something like that. Like as you oh, get Sam into it, missed like, all these. Yeah. yeah, that's what I mean. Like I'm, like, I'm usually keyed into the percussion stuff, like the weird, like, wait a minute, what's that? Someone put a bunch of dry rice in something and they're shaking it around in the background of this song. This is fantastic. So yeah, I, I agree. I, I, the, I liked it. I, I, it's one of those things like, yep, I probably, maybe the tambourine and for your soul, I picked up on the first listen, but it, the other ones I, I had to like purposely as I'm listening to the album, like, all right, where's the depth here? What, what am I hearing? I can't pick out an oboe. So <laughs> I think I probably missed that one. <laughs> I heard stuff that didn't seem right to what i was listening to like there, were, there was a <laughs> yeah. time i heard are those birds i'm hearing birds yeah i think it's horse no rider where how do you play a like, bird yeah uh, ask burke <laughs> uh horse no rider it sounded there there were times in that song where it sounded like dial up internet like mm. I, I kept hearing that pattern oh, over man. and over layered underneath it uh but the biggest compliment i don't know if it's a compliment but it is to me um if you strip away his vocals and listen to this album, it sounds like a score from a Christopher Nolan movie. There's, there's a lot there. Hmm. Um, I'm not saying it takes away from, from his vocal at all, but there were, it's, it's just at times it's super lush uh, and then it's stripped down and it's spacey and it breathes really well. Uh, and that reminded me of like, uh, God, what was the Nolan movie with Matthew McConaughey? Uh, where time is linear Inter- space. Interstellar. 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 Yeah. yeah. It kind yeah. of reminded me a little, like the piano, uh, the piano driven track. I can't remember which one that is. But I'm like, this sounds to me like a, somebody's trying to sing or add lyrics to a Christopher Nolan score. I just like the way he used so many instruments, but it still felt so like wide open. It's the opposite of like the born to run wall of sound thing, you know, where this just felt like there was so much space in all of these songs. I love the electric guitar in uh, Someday, the last song on the album Uh, when that comes in and i don't think you've heard it much at all throughout the the first seven or eight songs ten songs whatever it is and all of a sudden that comes in late i thought that was really good i like all the horn stuff you guys know me i love horns and in rock music or whatever this is it just seems so 
interesting and intricate the way he used all these different kinds of sounds. I thought that was cool. All right. Lyric, you're most likely to use on your special lady from in fields. I'm not wise, but everybody gets lucky, hits the nail on the head and gets it right sometimes. And you are my sometime. Uh, next one, sawgrass. But if heaven is waiting, then heaven can wait. And if she's one in a billion, tell them I'm coming late. Which one of those do you think is the best to use on your special lady? Both really good. What was the, the first one again? I think that applies more a little bit to my situation in life. I am not wise, but everybody yeah. gets lucky, hits the nail on the head yeah. and gets it right sometimes. And you are my sometimes. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to explain the 12 year separation between me and my wife. I got really lucky and uh, in the one time and hit the nail on the head. So yeah, I'm going to go with that one. I like the first one too. Um, and I think it's for, for things we've talked about in the past, you know, uh, maybe all three of us, or at least two of the three of us were a little skeptical in, in this life about fate and, and, and those kind of things. And uh, we've kind of turned around, be it because of Hallmark Christmas movies we're forced to watch or what have you, uh, you know, it's, but, but I, I like that first quote. I, I feel like, you know what, sometimes things happen for a reason. And if I'm going to get lucky and this is, and, and you're my lucky time, then let's take advantage of that. I don't want to miss that opportunity. I'm going with sawgrass. If she's one in a billion, tell them I'm coming late. You know, like even heaven can wait for like that right girl. If she's one in a billion, I thought that was really cool. All right. Favorite song on the album. Um, For your soul. Maybe because there's a more structured song there. Yeah. I I really dug the melody. It sounded a little Beatlesy to me. And I think if you listen to this album a little more and more, some of these songs sound a lot like Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, stripped down some of the melodies, but uh, for me, For Your Soul, the, it was layered and gorgeous. Uh, so that's why I think maybe because it was just more of a song than most of the album, that's why I liked it the most. Well, we should be friends. For Your hey. Soul was my favorite <laughs> by far. And I actually wrote down right here, sounded like something off a of Beatles album. Um, all so right like, man, we are man yeah, we so are we right took there. that week off man and we <laughs> yeah, are like right. in sync we, yeah, need, we need to load manage more <laughs> but i i so for your soul is my favorite but I'll, I'll just to add to what chuck talked about i i listened to this over and over again and it's such a positive and upbeat track about such a challenging and difficult topic like it's all about your it you're, you're, you're about to be faced with a lot of rough time in life and trouble and challenged and this kind of thing. So that, that, that was interesting to me. The way it was played was the happiest song on the, on the album in terms of the music, but the lyrics were anything but, and that, that was, I, I do enjoy that song. And I, I agree. I thought it could have come off of one of the al albums that the Beatles put together kind of like, ah, uh, the, the middle of their, their catalog. Yeah. I'm, I'm going with Sawgrass. I just like the lyrics of that so much. It's another thing like he does in a lot of his albums. He doesn't necessarily put together like a, a full song. Like you're saying for your soul is like, he does these little like vignettes that are only like a couple minutes long, but like, I don't know. There's like, like there's a lot packed in there. Uh, and I guess maybe I'm a little bit used to that because I've listened to some of his stuff from before, but I really like the song sawgrass. All right. Bourbon scale one to five. What's it getting? Well, I really, I, again, you do a good job with this Gerbs. Like you assign us albums that there's no way I would have ever played this album if it was not an assignment this week. I just would, it wasn't on my radar. I didn't know who this guy was. So I had to read about him and found out that he 
it's you know a painter and a novelist yep. and a it's, i mean it's just a genius right so that was intriguing um but from an album start to finish i do appreciate its brevity um that's nice <laughs> yeah but especially gonna... considering the alternative from this <laughs> yeah, week. Right, exactly right i know it's coming the album itself i i'm gonna have a hard time giving it more than a three out of five it's good there's a couple songs i'll probably play again a few times but i'll go with three listening to it a few times it's a lot about life on this album and it's basically the theme is we're all screwed and that's okay right <laughs> yeah. because the, the album to me was was subtly dark but somewhat beautiful and it doesn't mean i love the album and i'll come back to it but they're songs i liked i'm at a two uh just because sometimes when songs stretch and you you take those liberties and maybe i just don't have the time to commit to understanding where you wanted to go as an artist with it uh, it doesn't mean it's bad it's just something that i don't find a lot of replay replay value in so i'm going to give it a two i'm at a four uh, obviously coming to this at a different place from you guys. Cause I'm a fan of this guy. I like the way he let, he writes his songs. Uh, I like the, the way these sound, uh, I do like some of his upbeat stuff a little bit better. That's just kind of my nature, I think. But, um, I really enjoyed it after digging into it a little bit today and I will listen to it again. This to me is like the perfect, like rainy day. I got to work and I want to have music on in the background. This is like the perfect album for that, man. It fits perfectly into, into that spot so i appreciate you guys taking a dive into this with me it's really unfair that i get to be the one who picks the topic so i can just pick a band that i like <laughs> that nobody's ever heard of before and make you guys listen to it but um i would never let you do the same thing to me but uh, <laughs> rather than leaving on the good feelings in the high notes of josh ritter we're going to talk succession episodes four and five are in the books episode six comes out tonight Episode four saw the return of Ken the Killer. Episode five, Shivy gonna shiv. She has some game running on her brothers for sure, probably on Tom as well. If you had to pick a leader in the clubhouse right now at the halfway point of the final season, who is in the lead for taking over Waystar Royco? Damn it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. I don't think it even where it's heading. I don't think it's Shiv. Damn it, man. Uh, Kendall, I still think it's him. Uh, I think what we're starting to see in these last two episodes, none of them are their father, but each one of them possesses a different trait of their father. That's what I'm starting to see. Kendall is the straightforward business dude. Roman is the fuck you guy. And Shiv is the backhanding manipulator. All of them equal their father. I just think That's at least at least right now in, in the way the series is running, uh, Kendall, just because he, he's making some tough decisions about burying his father, <laughs> uh, at least publicly and, and, and can still kind of get the job done as the face. So I'm going to, I'm going to go with him. I feel, especially after the last episode, I feel I'm getting pulled further and further into Roman's camp. I didn't see that. And you predicted it, Gerbs, early on before I think at our before the season started, and and or at least early on, and I didn't see that. And, and that guy, like, here's a guy that I thought was nothing but a f up, and he was. That's how his character was written, right? And yeah. he has completely come around from that. He doesn't have the experience that Kendall does, but he has an awareness. It, it's interesting, like especially when he told off, like when, that scene when he told off Matson. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, all right, all right. 
he he knows that they don't have to do anything. <laughs> you know, they can they can do whatever the hell they want. They they own this company. Um, and you could even see it in the plane ride back after the deal is done that yeah, he's not so happy about that, right? Like there's there's something going on there. I don't know. So Chuck brings up an interesting point though, where all three of the sibs involved here are are a different slice of Logan. I guess you throw Greg into that, the quad squad. Is that what they call it? <laughs> the quad squad? And it just, just yeah. gets that much better, right? God. So I'm leaning towards Roman right now. I still think Roman has the best shot, but I, I, I do think that right now the leader is probably Kendall. He he seems to be the one that has the most credibility in the company, um, which is crazy because he tried to take it down like twice. Yeah. Um, but I mean, like he, he's the one who walks into the room and the office stands up and starts cheering when he comes into the office. So you've got the, the company. I think there's a sense that he can do the job. And I think he's showing a little bit more backbone than he has in prior seasons. And maybe he had to get through the whole thing that ended the last season in order to be ready to do that. So I think he's, he's in a pretty good spot, but it was two really good episodes man nothing reaches the episode where logan dies spoiler alert um (laughs) (laughs) but um they've kept the show moving in a really interesting way and and still obviously like keeping our attention ted lasso also had two episodes of that show during our break i didn't see either of them so tell me what was good Without telling me what happened. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to just say this, and and I'll let you form your own opinion as, as you get caught up, but I think these last two episodes are the best two episodes of the season. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, and I'm not going to ruin it, but the the Amsterdam episode two episodes ago is phenomenal. Yes. Start to finish, it has layers upon layers of every character. It's great. And then last week's episode is... uh it's not as good as the Amsterdam episode, but it's, it's good. Like it, it, in a season where we thought like, what are they doing? These, some of these episodes kind of feel like, uh, I think these last two are the best two I've seen so far uh, this year, this season. Bill's probably right. Where I thought the pattern is one really great episode. One like, what are they doing? Yeah. Uh, we're now in back-to-back weeks where the ship has been righted uh, and everything we love about this series is, is beginning to happen. And, more developments are happening um in the the feel goody stuff uh in the total football uh oh. the way he the way he comes to it is is fantastic yeah. and you think it's a breakthrough and then coach beard's like it already exists uh that's to me was was <laughs> phenomenal so it it, it seems to be like th- this is where the show this is where the sweet spot that i wanted to be in and we're heading in the right direction well i'm really looking forward to this now um, I can't wait to tell Tammy that the two best episodes <laughs> are the ones we haven't seen yet. This is going to be great. All right, cool. Fellas, we are out of time. I am out of questions for now. And we just did the whole show without mentioning that Ethan Nuarni made his professional debut for Arsenal in the Premier League at 15 years old. With that news, that sounds impressive until you compare it to my four-hit game for the Munson Magic when I was 15. I hope you guys have a great week, and let's get together and do this again real soon. Come on. Absolutely.
last option, the disgusting brothers, Josh Allen and Tanner Bibby. <laughs> Both were pretty filthy in all three of their appearances in the last two weeks. Each got a win. Bibby only gave up one run in a much-needed win over the terrible Rockies. New Josh Allen had two quality starts against the Marlins and today against the Red Sox. So who's your MVG, Phil? Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't correct you and say his name is Logan Allen, but because I have oh, a son named Logan. For fuck's sake, <laughs> right. Josh yep. Allen. Logan Allen 2.0, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I don't want to have to read that whole thing again. No, no, don't do it. A, just put a disclaimer on it. You're fine. You're, we make errors all the time. Yeah, put a Chuck disclaimer in front of yeah, it. Yeah. We right. mistakenly <laughs> called him Josh Allen and, you know. Logan Allen. I knew it as soon as like I, I knew it as soon as I said it. I'm like, is it wow, mm-hmm. is his name really Josh Allen? It is not. All right, Phil. So uh my yeah, my M- MVG. I- All right. Next week. Start the week in the big apple. I can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> the disgusting brothers, Logan Allen and Tanner Bibby quality starts against the Marlins and today against the Red Sox. Bah, look, I'm going to put it in and yeah. then we'll keep the rest of that shit for an outtake. It'll be hilarious. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Josh Next Allen might week. be a good pitcher. I mean, really? Yeah, he he probably probably the play, he plays yeah. quarterback. He's yeah. probably pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe the Bucks need to uh, really look hard at letting the Haslam's own that franchise because it's just been <laughs> shit since they took over. <laughs> it's a curse. Oh, uh, boy. I wonder if Haslam was in the house for any of those. Like, I wonder if that's finalized yet. I had read something initially that the timing of it and the way the way his team, whatever ownership percentage they have, had the Bucks won the championship this year, he would have had the trophy on the floor. <laughs> you Jeez. gotta be kidding me i don't know how they figure that out you know it, but it, is, is he, he's the he's gonna be the majority owner i don't i don't think so but it's well, I, get, it, I get the i get the odd years you get the even years <laughs> like what happens <laughs> i guess you gotta figure that out man because the massive fucking egos of these guys mm-hmm, they of mm-hmm. course want to be the ones down there holding the trophy yeah not like us we just stay in the background and be happy that we had won the game right <laughs> that's right that's uh, right they own 25 percent for but are they are they the largest five billion yeah but are they is there any are they the largest 3.5 billion is what they're paying for 25 percent of the franchise geez that's what it says. Is that right? which math wise would tell you that the franchise mm-hmm. is worth 12 billion dollars that's more than our cowboys estimation from uh last yeah. episode yeah right? Fuck, let's talk to Jerry now. If we can get the Cowboys for 10, <laughs> we should do it, man. Apparently, it's a steal. Yeah, we, yeah you're not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> some sports group paid $800 million, giving the Bucks a franchise value of $3.2 billion. Oh, okay. Uh, All right. Yeah. <clears throat> that was a close one. Yeah. We almost bought the Cowboys based on your <laughs> reporting of um, the that's information. That's why I clear, yeah. All right. Put my secret stash away. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know it's been a while, but yes, um, what we do oh. is we start and then we see how it goes. So, okay, yeah, shall count, we count me in? Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, let's do it. <clears throat> I'm really excited, man. I missed our week, I missed it too. Nah, me too, man. All right, good deal. <clears throat>
I don't know if you guys remember this part, but I say, <laughs> then I tell that baby to shut her mouth. Pick her baby, pick we, out. I'm going to do my best. <laughs> nah, you're all right, man. Easy to edit out. All right, here it goes. Oh, did he just knock it off that guy's butt and into the yeah. goal? Yeah. Is that how they scored? Oh, butt goal. <laughs> it's a, I love it. Who gets the credit for that? The guy who's the butt ass. guy. It's the a moon guy. It's a moon hole. It's a moon hole. A moon hole. Moon goal. Damn it. A moon goal. So that's an assist from the guy that used his stick and a goal for the guy that used his ass cheek, right? That's right. <laughs> nice. I want to tell you guys about a joke I made when we were out with some friends for dinner last night. Tammy does not think this is funny, and I can't stop laughing about it. <laughs> so Gee, this I wonder is, what um, side we'll fall on here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm really afraid it's going to get lost in like the storytelling. You know how like you say something super funny, and then you try to explain to people later, and it just doesn't come out as funny. I'm, I'm afraid of that, but um, it's like a, a couple we met like recently they've been in tammy's store a couple of times we just kind of one of those kind of like hey let's go out sometime and grab dinner and we could never quite make it work and it finally worked on saturday night and so we're kind of just hanging out and talking and had gotten onto the the conversation about like some of like the pivotal arguments we had had as like married couples throughout our time being married and Tammy and I have a great one that we both know immediately what we're talking about when we bring it up. It was a fight about like when we're supposed to like clean the house on the weekend. Um, but they were kind of telling their stories. And then Tammy was telling like something else about something. And I'm sitting there waiting for it to be my turn to talk again. <laughs> I try with like the most serious face I could. I try to tell them. Like, you know, we have these arguments, you know, when everybody has them and it's um you know, it's, it's tough sometimes to get through them and blah, blah, blah. But you know, like the worst part about us fighting is that normally it ends with Tammy just severely beating me. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. And they kind of played along. They were great. They're like, Oh, does she use a yoga mat? Like, does she, <laughs> what kind of stuff does she use? <clears throat> I told them that she punches me in the stomach a lot so that I can go to work and nobody will see the bruises. He's so bad. I think it's so funny. <laughs> Did you you mouth the words help me as you're yeah. leaving the table? Like, <laughs> oh my God. I'm not lying. <laughs> she's very violent. <laughs> oh, man. She's tiny but powerful. <laughs> <laughs> I was like taking out the trash today and she heard me like laughing in the pantry as I was like tying up the bag. She's like, stop it. It wasn't, it wasn't that funny. She knew what you were laughing at. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> oh, man. Shiv is right. ATN is like a a, a bad asset. Yeah. It's a 24-hour yeah. news channel in an age when that was interesting cable when TV she said is that. going away. Like she said that in a moment, too, where they you could tell like they thought like, oh, she's going to grab onto the, this is what dad wanted. That's what we're hanging our hat on. Yeah. Like we want. Yeah. And she's like, fuck it. Get, get rid of it. Get rid of yeah. it. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just get rid of it. Yeah. 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 Get more money that we need to go buy peers. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyway, 1203. Mm -hmm. nice we work, done boys. done it. Nice work. Boys. Um. 
Great to see you guys again. Yeah. I've been looking forward to this all day, um, and it totally delivered. What a good time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I just, one second ago, just had a moment of panic. Like, whoa, did I remember to hit record? <laughs> oh, let's run it back. But I did. Uh -oh. <laughs> no. Oh, no. All right. <laughs> all right. I'm out of here. Yes. All right, guys. Great night, fellas. Right. Wonderful you, to brothers. see you again. Yeah, absolutely. Love you guys. This is great. Good night, Love guys. You. Funny like a clown? You didn't use you?